All right. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Upstream Podcast, hosted by myself, David Cho, and my co-host, Minnow Park. We really talk about what it means to go against the current and live a more generous, curious, and sometimes difficult creative life. This week's pod is really centered around leadership. Kind of the focal point is a book my CEO and co-founder of my startup gifted me and it's called Setting the Table by Danny Meyer. And it's a book about Danny Meyer, who, if you guys aren't familiar, he's the uh, CEO and founder of Shake Shack, 11 Madison Park, a lot of very influential um, restaurants and, and restaurant group. And in this podcast, we talk about um, ideas around leadership and really unpacking the principles behind what we think good leadership is and bad leadership and really what it means to I guess be a thoughtful leader we'll kind of go back and forth and struggle it with our own you know principles we'll we'll wrestle with our own thoughts uh, throughout this episode but it was a blast for us to talk about and I hope you guys enjoy as well so I I remember a lot of people telling me about this book actually at my very first job ever my mentor mm. and manager there told me this is the book that changed his life. And so oh. I was like, okay. And he was not the first person to say that to me. I mean, there's been a lot of people. So a little bit of background on the book. The book is called Setting the Table, The Transforming Power of Hospitality and Business by Danny Me- Meyer. Danny Meyer founded Union Square Hospitality Group. And, um, you know, he's a founder of Shake Shack, um, Gramercy Tavern, One of Madison Park basically some of the most important and influential restaurants in the country. And, you know, it's funny because Minnow and I were talking about what it is we should talk about on the podcast and, you know, the right move given mm-hmm. the focus and vision of this podcast and the series, which mm-hmm. is really to provide our listeners with, you know, something that feels nourishing and uplifting, yeah. generous. And we didn't think that more corona-related news or analysis or even like the the topic we were thinking about talking about which was media related to it would actually be helpful to anyone i feel like all i do all day is tab from twitter to new york times to you know whatever to get that stuff so we kind of put that aside and i said you know i i personally feel like you know the reason why we're in this mess is because of a lack of strong leadership and yeah Maybe a way to, you know, think about this situation is really, okay, what what does make a good leader? What does that look like? What does that feel like and sound like? And um, it was really cool timing given that I had just finished this book over the weekend and kind of wanted to dive in on that topic. And, and, you know, for me, I think you guys will have heard by now from these other episodes, I do not have great experience with leaders. Actually, you know, I would say I'm more like a vigilante in the workplace. I kind of always push back and I'm always talking really loud and <laughs> making sure <laughs> some other voice or perspective is heard. And, you know, I think I could be kind of annoying, you know, in that space, mostly because I want to, to some degree, rebel in, in, in a way I can against leaders because, I don't know, natural inclination is not to trust them or to doubt them or whatever. And so for me, reading this book was pretty eye-opening about what leadership is. And I think 
just to set the table, the whole book is about how Danny Meyer created Union Square Hospitality Group. His whole um, business philosophy is this idea of enlightened hospitality. And it it's pretty deep, but it, it kind of just talks about a counterintuitive way to think about hospitality around generosity and people um, wow. versus like service. I mean, service is part of it, but just like not your traditional understanding of what service is, right? He has a kind of a framework in this book, which I found really compelling. He says like, he has five business priorities or people he serves. One, the first, and these are in order of importance. One is always his employees. Two are his guests. Three is a community. Four are his suppliers. And five, and last importantly, are his investors. And I thought this was really interesting because if if you guys know anything about the restaurant business, it's extremely it's an extremely difficult industry to be in. I mean, obviously we see that now given the, you know, situate global situation and its impact on the restaurant industry. But even before that, it was hard, you know, people, yeah. basically restaurants survive off of fumes of cash flow. So even it's, when it's a good, even when the economy is good, they do bad. Yeah. Even it's when it's good, it's, it's hard. And so, yeah, I mean, this, his, the fact that he has investors last in that prioritization list is I think pretty striking to me because, you know, what he says is, in order for my investors to invest, they need to join my philosophy, take on my philosophy of a long-term investment that starts wow. with investing in individual people. And only through that will they achieve the investment results that they're seeking, right? And he was, you know, he says something crazy about like how there's a three-year incubation period for his any of his restaurants. So from wow. conception of idea to opening day is usually three years but you need investors way before you know opening day to get there so how do you do that and i thought i just thought that there was like so many things but i think what i wanted to talk about we can talk about his particulars but i wanted to talk Mm -hmm. about his overall perspective is that he has like rules almost rules almost checklists or almost like frameworks by which he approaches his business you know so for example there's like there's like seven i think criteria for hiring a manager there's you know i think it was 19 or 15 criteria for starting a new business venture and you know when i thought about that i was like okay in order to be a leader first of all the only way to become a leader is to do something right to try something to be faced with situations that require a person to create standards, right? Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. kind of what I pulled out of this book is unless you have very particular, nuanced, and tested standards, it's going to be extremely hard for you to lead, right? And what I mean by that is, like, for example, like, you know, when when we're even for me building you know being a, one of a co-founder in a startup it's it's like what are some key decisions right that we have to make and so one of the biggest things for us is about hiring who do you bring on and mm-hmm. you, you hiring is hard in general but for a for person who's never hired somebody ever it's extremely hard you don't even know what to look for you don't really know what's important yeah. to you you don't know yeah. what works and doesn't work 
in a working environment. You don't know what's more important than other things. And it's crazy because Danny Meyer in his book has this whole concept of 51 percenters. And so basically he splits people into 51% and 49%. 49% being like technical prowess, like the ability to actually do the job. And 51% mm-hmm. being emotional capacity, self-awareness, empathy. Wow. Like obviously that's the majority of the person, but there's still that 49%. But he says he'll never hire someone with the 49% that doesn't have that 51% you know, capacity for the emotional stuff, the softer skills. And for me, I I think like, okay, you only get there. You only get to that. I have to have this in a person by dealing with terrible people, by making making terrible mistakes, mistakes, right? Yeah. Like ruining your culture to some degree. Yeah. And I, you know, it's so obvious, but I think for me, it's just like, you, you know, when a person is a leader First of all, if they have any of these kinds of standards that they live by, right? Right, right. And so, you know, when we were talking earlier about this whole corona thing, it's like I, like, try to deconstruct Donald Trump's standards. What is he thinking about? What is he caring about? What has he been, like, held up to? And, you know, I don't know if everyone saw, but he tweeted his media, like, uh, ratings, and it became apparent to me, like, instantly, what are his standards? His standards are how popular or liked he is, or seemingly liked or seemingly popular. And so for, you know, for us today, I thought it would be really interesting. You know, we can talk more about the particulars in, in the book, but even more just deconstructing standards that we think are important in leaders and how we want to lead kind of moving forward. Have you ever turned down a client and why? Like, what was the reasoning behind it? Yeah, I think there's a ton. We just, I just had this conversation with Becky about how I think it goes back to scarcity and abundance. Mm-hmm. And when I hear about Danny Meyer talk about no investor will work with, I'm not going to work with any investor unless they understand my plan. Mm-hmm. Underneath that, what I thought was, there are a lot of investors that will not work with your plan. Yeah. You know, that means he has to try that much harder to find the right investor right. and take a risk and hear a lot of no's before someone says yes. That's right. And how can you do that if you're operating out of a mindset of, man, I need money. Man, I need this to work. Man, I need something to go. I need, and you feel the scarcity, mm-hmm. right? You have to have this really deep faith in abundance and live out of abundance. Mm-hmm. And I think when you live out of scarcity, which goes back to your question of, did I accept clients who I regretted later? It's like, yeah. Because the job comes in and you're like, this is a job. This is a request. Why would I ever say no to it? Mm-hmm. Like, this is money coming in. This is a good thing. Yeah. But then the experience is so horrible that no amount of money could actually rectify the situation. Right. And... The next time, the the way that you grow is the next time that happens, you say, hey, remember that time when that happened? Don't do that again. And you have to say no. And you have to accept the consequences of saying no, which is losing the job or whatever, whatever that looks like. But um, I think it's I think it's this scarcity and abundance mindset that I go back to when I when I when I think about it. And you can't be you can't have a scarcity mindset when you want to be a good leader. Yeah. So the the principle that you might codify would be like 
anytime I feel I have to accept a job out of scarcity, that's a that probably means I shouldn't accept it. I think the way I would codify it is create red flags mm. and be like, if any of these red flags get tripped, I say no, mm-hmm. no matter what the project looks like. Mm-hmm. And that's the system. But to keep, but to stay within that system and codify that system means you can't be operating out of scarcity. Because mm. you can say, oh, 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 okay, he does, that client does fit that red flag. Ah, but it's okay. I mean, we'll work on that. Yes, let's do it. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, no, that was the red flag. Like, no wonder you're having a horrible experience. So creating a system where you say no and sticking to it, I think, is the system to create. And it's it's so interesting because all of this really requires a lot of introspection and retrospection, right? But yeah. most people don't do that. Like, you know, even in like, you know, I, and I can speak for probably a lot of people that work more in corporate settings where they're not the boss or the person that makes the decisions. We take mm-hmm. on, like, especially as an agency and firm, we take on so many clients that we know right off the bat are going to be terrible clients. Wow. Like from the first meeting. <laughs> but we take them for, you know, a litany of reasons, right? Often they're shitty reasons, but we still take them. And I I, I don't know at what point, I, I don't know if I've ever been in a situation where we haven't taken one, a client that, you know, seems shitty. And um, huh. it, it's, it's crazy because even in my in my a current engagement I'm working on like we all knew the entire team knew that it was it would be a very difficult project and we took it because of a lot of reasons but you know one of them that that pertains to me was uh the partner at my firm said this is a chance David for you to prove that you can pitch a client win uh-huh. the business and do the work um, and so I was like, even though I knew the red flags about the client and had, you know, kind of strange feelings about it, I think for me personally, it was more important to prove to the partner that I could do those things than to have to take on a shitty client experience. And hmm. it, it's crazy because, you know, as much, you know, quote unquote, accolade or quote-unquote respect that i may have gotten from being able to do those things because i did pitch i did win and i did and we're still doing the engagement but it's like what was what was the impact of that Hmm. you know like there are a few one is doing the work we saw the huge lack of infrastructure and process in our firm and it caused so much heartache another thing was uh, many of our team members are completely burned out by this project wow it's it's and another thing is kind of causing some contention within the firm about how to do things and i thought to myself like was all of that worth it just for me to say i did this thing i felt like you know like people feeling like because of this project they're just being like demoralized yeah you know and i'm like it's not all my fault. I can't I can't go that far. I can't say it's all my fault, but like a big reason we have it is because I really pushed for it, you know? And so I think for me it's like to you similarly, it's like the principle is if if I don't 
jive with the you know the partner and the relationship mm-hmm. then it's probably gonna mean that there's a maybe a inadequate amount of trust or you know certain people feel like they can take advantage of the other person for me it's harder because i don't run the i'm not the partner i don't run right. the firm and so i think i don't know i would love to know maybe even from the listeners what what they would do but it just it seems like can people who don't work for themselves live out principles in business i think it looks like i have more control but i actually don't because um being held by a standard of my own making Mm. right and yours might not be the same but yours sounds more like the scarcity of your relationship with your boss Mm -hmm. that that relationship isn't out of abundance but out of scarcity for sure and a bad system or a lack of a system is setting you up to fail right right and 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 it's also like does it even go farther back like should i have should I have already had these principles written down and tested in the interview process? You know, hmm. it's it's almost like to what degree do people live by principles? Is it by fire or is it just soft, basically useless, shitty nothing? You know, <laughs> it's like it's one or the other, because I think if I were to retroactively think about this, it's like, I should have said, I need to find an agency or a firm that puts their people way first, even to the point if it means rejecting business. And I would have to ask that in, a, in an interview setting, which is also kind of risky, you know. But once you find a firm like that, that's probably a great place to be and to live out right. your principles. But it's just like, do people have the gall or like, you know, the even the feeling like, is if if it's just for my family's survival, then I can forego my principles. Right. Well, that's your principle. Or yeah, that's your principle. So, I don't know. It's hard I to mean, say. It is, and Danny Meyer says some beautiful stuff in that book. But somebody can be like, "Are you kidding me? A business is to make money, mm-hmm. right?" And that can, and. So how do you judge those two principles? Like, by, by what standard are you judging those two principles? And you can say, oh, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna choose this. It's just gonna be a line in the sand. You can choose one or the other side. But then you're just sort of like going through life, avoiding all the obstacles and just trying to find your little path forward. It's like, how, how meta does that standard get? <laughs> you it know, gets and how so meta. <laughs> have you uh have you started watching the Netflix Korean drama Itaewon class? No. Okay, so I don't want to spoil it for any of our <laughs> listeners, but there is a there's a kind of a this one of the characters is faced with a quandary where they basically have to choose between providing for his daughter or doing something that is morally right but will risk mm. his daughter's livelihood basically or survival basically Mm. if he does the moral thing his Mm. daughter will be alone Mm. and it made me think like you know what what this idea of right or wrong this idea of like good leadership quote-unquote good is all like it can all be argued right but it makes me think like 
is it is the point here to be right or wrong or is the point here to actually be a person that lives by their principles like what is more important yeah you know because i think danny meyer probably is wrong a lot a lot of his principles probably piss people off or hurt people yeah you know and i'm not like i don't want to put him on this holy pedestal of perfect businessmen and leaders but i think i i guess what i'm starting to question as we talk about it is what does it even mean to be a person of principles and is that important you know like most people don't ever question the definition of success so yeah. they just take whatever yeah. culture or mainstream yeah. media or whatever they see or have known and define it as success and i, I think like that's probably why there's so many miserable people out there you know yeah. because they're taking this notion like success to me is you know getting the beamer getting the five room bedroom house yeah getting the kids in private school and like that probably has nothing to do with them <laughs> you know if they were yeah. really thinking about it, it could be something completely different and i think and i think at the end of the day what six what you know these what leadership requires is like a very clear simple articulated vision yes and I don't mean that at like a corporate level or like some branding exercise that I'm doing, but it's like simple. Like for me, it's like I want to retire my parents and invest mm. in businesses <laughs> that seem worthwhile and and both sets of parents really. But, you know, like when I say that simple vision, I'm like, I know what it takes to get there. There's dollar amounts attached to that. Yeah. It's two houses basically. Yeah. yeah. And then some other you know, sum of money that I can use to invest. Yeah. And so it's like, it, it gets pretty clear how to get there. Yeah. You know, and, and, and even if I don't make billions or even hundreds of millions, does, I still, I still think that that's probably a successful, well-lived life, you know? Yeah. So I don't know. It's like, I, but I wonder, it's like a, a sub context that, or sub questioning that comes from that is like, are you okay if your definition of impressive doesn't line up to the rest of societies? But that's but I think that's where everything is changing, right? The term rest of society was very very simple when we were growing up when there was just a couple of channels and you had MTV lifestyle of the rich and famous or like cribs or mm -hmm. something, right? And mm -hmm. <laughs> there was a cribs episode and you saw what they showed. And okay, that's what the rest of society looks at for success. But now everything is sliced up. The mm -hmm. niche of everything is sliced up. For some people, the definition of success is that the earth is flat. That <laughs> that is their goal in life right to prove that the earth is actually flat there's other people that think flat earthers <laughs> there's other people that think everyone should have a universal basic income and uh -huh. that's the definition of success yang gang yang gang but those are two very different people but that's i think what rest of society looks like your 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 billions of slices of niches and audiences stuck together in this internet 
and you're and you're looking for what that success looks like. And I think no matter what you do think your success is, you can find your people. And that means you have flat earthers, but that also means you have this podcast and people listening to it and nodding their heads and resonating with it. Yeah. I and mean, so, I, I think that's true, but I think at the same time, yeah, I'm not that optimistic. <laughs> I still think like... This is the fourth time today someone called me too optimistic. I, I mean, I think 90% of people are still like aligned to the cribs definition of success. Because the you know the influencers of today the you know the artists of today all these people they do the same ass thing, right? <laughs> Nothing's changed. It's still cars, girls, houses, vacations. It's just now it's like on Instagram, you know. And so I don't know. I I, I really kind of doubt that. Like I really doubt that any of the any the majority of America would look like look at my life and say, "Damn, you're really really successful." <laughs> <laughs> I I think then going back to leadership of you saying it requires a vision. It, it requires you to know as much of what you want and also to know what you don't want or you mm-hmm. don't want it to be. We've been going on these walks my wife and I during this time uh-huh. and I said something that I was surprised for myself and I was like, you know, telling stories is the best way I know how to make an impact in this world. Mm. And if I can do that and I had, and if I look at money and what I have as resources to do that, it'll be cool. Mm. Right? Like that's, that's what that looks like. And impacting the world doesn't have to be the world. It can be the world for that business for this business for this person for that person for me you know mm-hmm. and so things like that i think it's it's a it's a small it's a small kind of vision and small not small but it's a specific vision that is my own and if we hold on to that with conviction and we go for it people will follow along yeah it's it's so it's challenging because i would even raise it to the to actually i would say like to other people listening is like are you okay with being small are you okay with being insignificant are you okay Mm. with being not notable if it is truly in line with your conviction of the vision for your life you know and i and i put all those words in air quotes maybe but i think until you can say yes to that you'll never ever live out like a really i hate that word authentic but an authentic life you'll always be living out some version of kind of a bullshit life yeah (laughs) until you can really just be like yeah fuck it i'm like perfectly fine with this quote-unquote insignificant life because exactly what i feel like i'm supposed to be doing yeah but i bet and this is where my like you know cynicism comes in i bet 90 percent of people aren't willing to to say yes to that question are you willing to be insignificant? It depends on what significance means for you. Sure. I mean, yeah. But it's like even grappling with that is it's hard. Because I, I, I'll be the first to say I hate, I hate the thought of being insignificant. It makes me just, it makes me physically ill. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's, it's, you have it's, to be special. Yeah, I have to be special. I really do. 
I don't know if that's a millennial in me or whatever the fuck, but that's the truth. And it's like, it's like, it, it is actually challenging for me to be like, like, you know, if it was like a, 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 a matrix moment where Morpheus yeah. or the blue pill, or, you know, the pills are like, you can have the success you want, but you have to do it in, right. you know, in this traditional way. Right. Or you can be happy. Yeah. And be nothing. <laughs> you know, it's like I know I know the steak is fake, <laughs> but when I eat it, it just tastes so right. It, yeah, it yeah. just tastes so good. I, I I hear your existential crisis of reading a book like <laughs> like Danny Myers and like so what do I do with this? Right? Like that's what you're wrestling with, right? Like yeah. like what like what questions is this bringing up and yeah. how do I wrestle with this? And I think for me it's like when I at least when I look at the book, Danny Meyer never set out to have a hospitality group or a empire. Mm. Uh, and he just wanted to recreate the like lifestyle and restaurants and eating pleasure that he had experienced in Italy and France. Right. And I think that's that's the difference. And he always says like I I just and I remember he struggled with it in the book where he was like there were so many moments I just wanted to go back to Union Square and welcome my guests and stop dealing with all this other bullshit of growing a wow. hospitality group. You know, and I think for me it's wow. like what what is that kind of core desire? And is and it, is it is it really for you know seven figures in your bank account or in your investment portfolio or you know like and I think for me like when I whittle it all the way down what I would be ha- what I would be happy with and what I struggle with if it's even true is I want freedom. Hmm. I want my time. I want no one to tell me what to do with my time. And I'm like, wait, is that really what I want? Because <laughs> I could get that by quitting and yes, then yes. <laughs> being like, you know, whatever. But I think it's constraints. Like when when he talks about systems and what he created, he created constraints for, him, constraints for himself. And then it's the freedom within those constraints. Mm-hmm. All creativity and stuff, I think, is born out of constraints. Right. You have bounds that you create. I think the question is, have you created those bounds or have they been given to you? Yeah, that's good. Is the, is, is the question. Right. And it's either given to you by a boss or it's given mm. to you by a parent or it's given to you by MTV Cribs. <laughs> but are those constraints ones that you've created for yourself? Mm. Yeah, that I think that's a, a really interesting way to kind of wrap this conversation is like, at the end of the day, the most courageous, challenging, and freeing thing you can do is figure out what it is you really want. Yeah. That's true to you. It takes that 51% that Danny Meyer was saying. It takes that self-awareness and conversation mm. and probably trial and error to mm-hmm. get there. But you have to always be asking for it. Yeah. And I, and I think I kept going back to the idea of like, a moral absolute because it has to be generous it has to be serving and it has to be for people and i don't think you can do that unless you feel like you belong to something greater than yourself hmm. because if it's all for yourself then it's just going to be consumption it's just going to be for yourself there's no one else that matters right okay this is good stay is healthy great. man all our listeners stay healthy all right all right See you later, sir. Signing off. Bye. Bye. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We're in week eight 
of the quarantine and I know a lot of us are feeling restless, but I hope this conversation was encouraging and it helped give you some things to think about in the midst of staying still. Please let us know if there's any way we can help you. Um, Thank you again for listening. We'll talk to you later. Bye.